Welcome to the Lost Sierra Stories podcast, produced by the Sierra Institute for Community and Environment. My name is Nina Martin, the Communications Coordinator at Sierra Institute, and your host for this podcast. We wanted to start this podcast to capture stories about the resiliency and challenges facing people in our rural area during COVID-19, both to capture this time in history and to keep us connected as a community. In this podcast, we will explore stories of our local economy, the arts, healthcare, food systems, education, and more. We're starting the series by focusing on education as it's one of the more impacted systems struggling to maintain balance during this pandemic. We will be exploring what education looks like and how it's working now that it has suddenly been flipped on its head in the middle of the semester, no less, to remote and virtual learning here in Plumas County. In this first episode, I'm interviewing Christy Warren, the Assistant Superintendent and Instructional Services Director of Plumas Unified School District. Thanks for joining me, Christy. I appreciate you coming on this podcast and being our very first guest. If you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, we'll get into it. Hi, my name is Christy Warren. I'm our Assistant Superintendent of Curriculum and Instruction for Plumas Unified School District and Office of Education. I'm also a mom of two kids, a wife here in our county, raising our family um, in our quarantine stay-at-home order. Gosh, that's a lot of different hats you're wearing and a lot of different jobs to juggle. So if you want to just go back to the beginning as COVID-19 is ramping up, kind of set the scene for me tell me, you know, what was going through your head? Um, just kind of let's start from the beginning. Well, I can remember it very clearly. You know, we have these points in our lives where we can kind of remember what you're wearing, where you're sitting. And this was one of those moments. So I think back, it was Thursday, March 12th, which is nearly almost two months ago now, which is crazy to believe. But we were having a a regularly scheduled high school principal meeting. So at the time, I was serving as uh, the interim principal at Quincy Junior Senior High School. Um, in addition to my assistant superintendent role. So we had all of our high school principals together that day sitting around our conference room and word was coming out throughout the day about school closures or, um, you know, everything with COVID. And at that point, I remember thinking, no way, that can't be happening. No way would we ever do that. And really, once Disneyland came out with their closure, things got real. (laughs) At least for me, you know, if you know me, you know, I love Disneyland, but for a major company like that, you know, to me, that was, it was a turning point that I can remember. Um, And that day we had our softball team at Quincy High School was set to leave for their um, Field of Dreams tournament. And it happens every year. It's a great spring event for um, our softball athletes. And they were set to leave at 3.30. And we pretty much had to go tell them in the parking lot that they couldn't go. And I remember thinking at that moment that we can't, just the idea that we can't have our students or anyone leave our county was a big deal. And we hadn't canceled spring sports. We hadn't canceled school. It was simply limiting travel. And I look back now and think of where we are versus, oh, we just don't let our kids leave the county and it is night and day. (laughs) And um, we've had to cancel so much more, you know, to go back to that hope and optimism of March 12th um, was like, no way, we can't not go to that tournament. We can't cancel sports. We can't cancel school. We can't cancel graduation. That No way will that happen. And uh, it all kind of has as we've rolled out um, 
this spring. So um, I will say that our softball team and our coaches and parents, um, this was just at Quincy High School, made an amazing day happen the next day with an in-county tournament. And it was a beautiful spring day. If you remember Friday, March 13th, the weather was gorgeous. We had just finished work on our softball fields at the high school. And we, um, our parents and the coach put together an in-county tournament because all of our teams were supposed to go to Reading and play. And instead they came to Quincy and we had this beautiful day of five softball teams here playing. And I remember thinking to myself, what if this is it? What if this is all they get to do? You know, I'm so glad we did it. Never thought that that actually would come true, but it actually did. And, and that was the only game they got to play all season. Um, so yeah, think back to that day and certainly had lots of conversations and lots of actions since then. Um, and just, uh, sometimes it's unbelievable where we are now. Gosh. Yeah. That's a lot to accept. I mean, just to come to terms with as a student, as a parent or coach or a teacher, you know, that's a, it's a lot to kind of let go of. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure that's a lot of disappointment. But let's talk a little bit about other things, right? So sports, you know, those can't really, team sports can't go online. What else, um, you know, can't go online? I mean, of course, a lot of things can be replaced with virtual learning, but not everything. Exactly. Um, you know, we can't replace those experiences. You know, I think about our senior seniors and senior athletes in particular who don't get to have their senior season. Um, there's a lot of things being missed. And, um, you know, the reaction, I think, is mixed. It's almost like we go through our stages of grief and we all handle it in different ways. You know, you go from shock to anger to hopefulness, you know, whatever that cycle is. And we all go through it different um, phases. That's just one thing I've noticed in the last two months is we're, that we're all at a different place. And sometimes we're up and feeling good and optimistic and other times we're really down. And it's really at those points where we count on other people find someone else who's up <laughs> who can help bring us around and, um, you know, doing it together with other people, even though virtually has been helpful. Right. So when you have realized you had to, you know, make some definitive decisions and schools were going to close, what did that look like in the beginning? I mean, what were some of the very first policies and considerations to make that happen? Well, if you think back, and weather is such a big part of our area, right? And so we go from a spring day to a major snowstorm. And so we actually were on a school closure day due to snow for three days right after that weekend. So March 16th was closed for school or for snow. So we closed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday because of snow. And that also gave us a little bit of time to kind of think about what we were going to do. Um, one of the first things that you have to do is work with your bargaining units. So working with the CSEA and PCTA, um, anytime we change working conditions, we negotiate those. And um, we have great relationships with our leadership on both of those sides. And they were very helpful in getting us moving um, quickly and getting us started with supplemental learning. Other places around the state, it took a little bit longer, but I think we were able to move quickly because of um, leadership in both of those organizations. And so we were getting started. Um, you know, what does it mean to come to work? Who can come to work? Uh, because remember, at this point, we didn't have a shelter in place yet. That wasn't until the following Thursday. And I remember I was on a walk one evening listening to the news. And that's when the governor started talking about the shelter in place. 
And at that point, that was another, oh my gosh, this is really happening. I never thought that would happen. And so I remember that was a Thursday night. Um, and so I feel like we made plans. Every day we made plans and then new information comes out and the plans change. And I would say that's been true for the last six, six to eight weeks. <laughs> so trying to keep up with every time the governor talks <laughs> and something changes then for us here locally. So what has been the final, I mean, I, I, as far as I understand, schools close to the end of the year. Then you're not going to, there's no plans to reopen. Um, when was that decision made? And looking forward, is there any plans for summer or fall? Yeah. So I think you, let's go back to the phases. So we started out with supplemental learning. So at that point it was optional and that went through, uh, gosh, let's see, I have to go back and look at my dates. Um, you know, right up until spring break, and then even two weeks after spring break. Um, at that point, we were distributing Chromebooks, we were distributing laptops, we were trying to figure out what to do with paper packets for students that didn't have access. So we had a five-week period where learning was technically optional. You know, we tried to encourage participation. We used the hashtag and still our own your learning. You know, it's not about the grades, it's about the learning, all those different ways to try and engage students. Some participated, some did not. Um, and then we shifted to required distance learning, which began on, I believe, was it April 26th? We're in week two right now of that. That's going to take us through May 29th, and that will be the end of our academic year. And so um, we are scheduled to go through June 12th on a normal calendar year. But for those two weeks in June, we are still holding out hope that we can somehow get students together on campus for activities. Those may be small group. It may be uh, picking up your materials. I mean, we have kids who left things in their desks that they need to pick up. They did. They left on that Friday, March 12th, not knowing that they wouldn't be back. They probably have jackets there. I'm a little worried about the lunch boxes that maybe got left with the food in them still. Um, you know, there's items that are still <laughs> at school um, that we need to pick up. And then, of course, we need to pick up and return, you know, all our laptops and Chromebooks and school materials. Um, plus, you know, our students and teachers really want to see each other. Um, we're all in this business for kids, and that's why we do what we do. So we hope that we can somehow get students together, even if it's five students at a time, you know, per class. It's maybe on a very limited way, but it would be great to provide some sort of closure for both our teachers and our students to the school year because they really do miss their friends, the social aspect of school, and of course their teachers. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember for myself as a senior, it was really emotional graduating and it's, you know, there's a lot going on, a lot of thought processes, what's next. And I think it's a really interesting time to go through a transition because the entire world is trying to handle this new normal. And then you have like a big milestone, like a graduation and you're saying goodbye to your teachers and your friends. I mean, that's, that's a lot. It's there, there's no way to really kind of really soften the blow except to just, you know, do what you're already doing. I think we feel for our seniors the most, um, you know, we can, we can do online learning, you know, they, they're going to move on and progress academically, but we can't replace the senior prom. Um, we're looking at different options right now for graduation and seeing what that looks like. Um, but yeah, you're right. There are some things you, you can't replace. And that, that goes all the way down to kindergartners. Um, I think about our sixth graders as well. My daughter's in sixth grade 
And remember your P2P trip, right, Nina? Oh, gosh, I didn't even think about that. Plymouth to Pacific. Oh, no. So that didn't happen. And, you know, that's your capstone of your elementary years. And you think about what that is for the students, for the parents. I mean, even the high schoolers that participate as counselors in that. So we're hopeful we can run that trip next fall as seventh graders, which would be interesting to do. Um, But there's been a lot of tears in my house, I'll say that for sure, from my sixth grader. So I can only imagine what our seniors are feeling as well. And on top of that, having to make their decisions about what to do next year. You know, the those that were going to either a two-year or four-year college, that might look very different. And they may be changing their plans. You know, if you're going to go away to school for online learning, maybe they're considering staying local instead if it's going to be online anyways. So there's a lot of big life decisions happening right now in the middle of this pandemic. Yeah. Is, I mean, what are the thoughts with graduation? I know you said the Plymouth Pacific might be able to happen next fall. Would there be a graduation at a later date, any kind of substitute? Yeah. Our principals are working with um, parent groups and uh, senior representatives um, some options being considered are to do like a drive-through parade. Um, you may have seen on social media, other people are doing like a drive-in graduation. Um, we don't really have a drive-in movie theater that would work, but, you know, could students come in one at a time and do that? Do we film it? Do we live stream it? Um, I participated in a webinar on a virtual graduation, which some of the larger high schools around the state are doing. I didn't think it was really a good fit for us. Um, I think we can do something better and more personal, um, but that is what some other schools are doing. And I think some are still holding out hope of what could we do in person? Um, You know, we'll see what happens this month with the restrictions, but could we space our graduates six feet apart? Um, Could they, you know, be limited on participants that come and watch in the audience? You know, if it can be done safely, I do think there is a will to recognize and honor that on Friday, June 12th. Um, But it's really all going to be depend on health and safety. Right. Is there any consideration of of going back to school early in the fall or? Yeah, our governor uh, indicated that and that caused quite, um, quite the (laughs) discussion around the state uh, because there would obviously be a financial cost that has to come with that. Um, So if we're going to pay staff to come back to work um, in a time where we're going into budget reductions. That doesn't make a lot of sense financially. So um, quite honestly, I don't see how that could happen at this point. And we are looking at summer either enrichment or intervention opportunities. Um, We're welcoming the class of 2033 to kindergarten next year. So thinking about what we can do to do a readiness academy or a jumpstart for them. Uh, because I think, um, you know, their their preschool experience has been cut short um, as well. So if we're able to do something like that with social distancing, although social distancing with four and five-year-olds is quite challenging, I can imagine. Um, you know, how do you maintain six feet apart? Um, but really looking at different options um, for summer learning. If we can, we'll do a online credit recovery summer school like we always do. Um, we've done that online for the last couple of years. So we're well situated to do that. Nice. What are, can you talk a little bit about 
how prepared was POSD to kind of go virtual for learning? I mean, what what did you already have in place that was easy to kind of transfer? And what were some of the things you really needed to set up new to make this, you know, functional? Yeah, good question. We were actually in a pretty good place and ahead many other districts, I think, because we went one-to-one three years ago. So we already had laptops and Chromebooks for uh, nearly all of our students. We had some kindergartners here in Quincy that we hadn't had on a one-to-one program yet, but everyone else did. So other schools and districts were struggling financially to quickly purchase them. And I heard that was hard to do because demand went up pretty quickly, but we already had that in place. So that was um, a step in the right direction for us. And, you know, our tech department and our board of trustees really um, got us to that point when they made the decision three years ago to do that. Um, So beyond that, you know, our teachers had been using tools like Google Classroom already. Some were more proficient and more comfortable than others, but everyone quickly got up to speed. We've got some people in each of our schools who are dedicated to training and staff. We call them tech integration leads, and each school site has one. It's a small stipend position. So we had we did have some things in place um, that helped us. Uh, there were some things that we didn't have in place, right? And a, num- a lot of that was student internet access at home, and that continues to be a, a struggle and an issue for us today. We are very lucky in a partnership we have with a, co- a new company called Devices for Students. And if you haven't heard of them, look them up and donate to them because they're a new nonprofit. And we were connected with them through one of their founders, Jay Pettigrew, who is a Quincy High School alum. He reached out to his former high school English teacher, Miss Frediani. He wanted to give back to his community that he grew up in. So he hooked us up. Uh, We received 100 Verizon hotspots that were paid for, um, given to us for free, given to families for free, and they're activated until the end of the school year with internet. So we did just uh, distribute those last week, mainly to our high school students who hadn't come online or didn't have internet at home. So grateful for that partnership and Miss Frediani and her former student, Jay, uh, for thinking about us up here in Plumas, uh, because I I don't know, you know, what we would have done without that. And we're still looking at purchasing more uh, because no one can have enough Internet right now. Even if you have a hotspot, you think about your family at home. You know, you've got mom and dad, perhaps grandma, grandpa working from home. You've got multiple siblings. And one hotspot just doesn't cut it. You know, that's just the bare minimum. It's like everyone could have their own. So early on, the state put out um, kind of a, what do you need in terms of internet or devices? And we were good on devices, but we did say, hey, we would need 600 hotspots in order to make this work. We haven't seen those come through yet. Maybe they will. I know they're still working on it, but just want to share that it is still, there's still a demand. So even if you have internet at home, you always want more. And we still have people that live in places that aren't um, accessible by a Verizon cell signal. So a hotspot won't work for them. So it's still a concern. For those students, we are offering paper packets as an option. So you can come in either once a week or once every two weeks and pick up your paper packets. And that's how we're making it work this year. But it would be great to have everyone online if we do continue into this next year. 
Yeah, well, that's a blessing that you were able to have that connection. How many students does that leave, do you know, roughly, but still do not have reliable internet? Um, we were able to meet the need of our high school students, of students who were in the Verizon area, was the number one criteria, um, and and didn't have internet. So our high school students were taken care of. Could we still use more? Like I said, yes. We have a number of families who want one, two, three, or more of the hotspots. So I don't have an exact number on that. We didn't collect that data. And we were able to distribute only five to our elementary sites, to each of our five elementary schools, because that was what was left over after the 80 hotspots really went to our high school students. So, you know, I don't have a number. Um, if we have more hotspots come in, uh, we're hoping for 100 more from devices for students. We would easily deploy them all really quickly and get them out there. Gotcha. What about school lunches? I know I heard that. I mean, that was a big consideration for, I mean, up here as well as throughout the state and, you know, definitely across the, the country, students who get, you know, some of their main meals from school lunches, breakfast, um, low-income families that rely on that food supplementation. So, you know, what were those discussions? And I, I think, as I understand, you were able to provide food. So if you can kind of run me through how that worked. Yeah, last Friday was School Lunch Hero Day, and our lunch people truly are heroes between them and our bus drivers in trans transportation um, they have done an amazing job. I don't have a final count for you, but it's in the thousands of meals that have been served since this started. And we started really on the first day, it was only pickup. You could come into each school site or designated locations and pick up a meal. And quickly, our district and food service and transportation worked together to put together bus routes where meals could be delivered around the community. So I just know in my house how it works. At 9.55 every day, we have a reminder set. And my two kids who are in fourth and sixth grade run out to, to the street, to, to the main road, see their buddies that are out there as well, and pick up a meal. I mean, they pick up breakfast and lunch every day of the week. And you think about the number of kids and families who rely on that um, every day during school. It's truly been an amazing thing and a highlight of our district of what we've been able to do. We even continued that over spring break um, where students were able to pick up two days worth of meals. So they got two breakfasts and two lunches. Um, they practically had to bring a shopping bag out to meet the bus, um, but they're healthy, they're nutritious, they're delicious. You know, they, it's, it's just really um, been great to see that and truly our food service our cafeteria workers, our bus drivers and transportation, um, you know, out there every day um, being the heroes, school lunch heroes and breakfast heroes that they are. So is this available to every student that wants it? And, and what about cost? Yeah, it is. You Anyone under 18 is eligible. So you even a two or three year old, if you want to get them a meal, they can. And it doesn't matter what school they go to. It can be a charter school, Christian school, private school, homeschool, whatever it is. Any kid 18 and under or under 18, I'm not sure about that, um, gets to that. And so that's part of our federal meal program. Um, I don't know all the details of the cost. So there's no cost to the students, though? Oh, no, no, no. It's free for students. Uh, yes. Wow. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. I mean, I'm sure that took a big burden off. I mean, that was a fear, certainly in the beginning, was, you know, what, how, what was going to be done with that. So that's great news. Some other kind of um, 
you know, topics that have come up in the news or students' mental health? Is that being addressed at all? Um, yeah, that is a concern. And we have amazing teams at our sites um, with our school counselors, our student services coordinators, of course, our admin, VPs, and principals. And of course, the first line is always going to be the teacher. So, you know, our school sites have systems to set up and track who they have contacted and who they haven't heard from. And those that we haven't been able to get in touch with kind of get elevated to what we call a tier two team. So that would be someone else calling them. So uh, one of those extra su- support people would be like a counselor, an SSC, a principal. Um, some are doing home visits. Some teachers are doing mini parades where they drive by their student homes. Um, Quincy is actually having a parade this Friday. Portola did it last week where all the educators and school staff will be um, parading around town. Um, and so everyone can see their teachers. But yeah, it is a concern of our social emotional learning. I think all of us as adults and especially as kids trying to get through this um, and those students that were at risk already are even more at risk. So contacting them, those students who had services through, say, Plumas County Behavioral Health, um, trying to make sure that those are still in place. And I know our partners and therapists, there are doing everything they can to still connect with kids, um, but they're doing it through teletherapy as well. So they're facing their own challenges uh, also. So, um, you know, I think we were in a good place because we had relationships to begin with. Um, You know, we did this in March, and so we'd been through a school year. So students knew their teachers and knew their SSC and, you know, had a support team um, already. So it's just making sure that those are still in place. Um, But truthfully, there are a small number of kids who who we haven't made contact with, um, and we're still trying to do so. Gosh, yeah, I'm sure that's concerning for the district and the teachers, just the students that they can't quite get a hold of during this time. You know, I'm sure that's, um, you know, concerning and upsetting. I hope those students are getting what they need, and I hope that you can make contact with them. Let's talk a little bit about the um, the difficulties with technology, obviously, for, you know, Internet's one, but obviously everybody has different comfort levels with zoom and, you know, different platforms and there's, there's challenges, right. For certain um, subjects, of course, like, I don't know, culinary art, music, some things can more easily be transferred online, but not everything. So I'm going to speak a little bit to uh, how you're making that work. So part of it is, um, you know, addressing the tech technology, but also kind of reframing our thinking and, not trying to recreate what we did in the classroom in the online world because it's different. So we can take some elements of that, but also there's some great opportunities um, to do things a little bit differently. Can I give you one example, just a personal one of my daughter? Yes. So my daughter, Abby, is in sixth grade and her teacher at Quincy Elementary, Miss Molsey, um, assigned them a project of really brainstorm 20 things you want to learn about. Right. And so it's this whole idea of own your learning. You know, you choose, personalize. She made her list and she loves um, culinary arts. It's her dream to be a culinary arts teacher, but she also loves space and science. So she wanted to combine those and learn more about 
astronaut food and how they make food in space. Oh my gosh. Wow. So, I mean, a really interesting topic, right? I mean, for her and her 11 year old uh, mind. So we actually found, and I say we, but it's really been my husband who's been in charge of the online learning um, here at home. (laughs) Um, A food scientist that works for NASA And I didn't even know that was a job, but of course there must be someone who makes the food and you have to engineer the science behind it. Anyway, she emailed the NASA space scientist, uh, who was a woman, which I thought was pretty cool. And she wrote her back. (laughs) Oh my gosh, no way. So she had this email conversation with a food scientist from NASA uh, about how they make space food. So... You know, there have been some good things that come out of this, and that's just one tiny example that I know about because it's been in my own family. But, you know, would that have ever been possible if we were in school? Maybe, but, you know, right now we have so much freedom for our teachers to teach in ways they always imagined or always wanted to, and I encourage all of them to do that. We don't have state testing, grading's well, kind of off the table. Um, We've got hold harmless and participation things going on. So why not take advantage of this? Teach like you've always imagined. And if you want to try Genius Hour, now's a perfect time to try it out. If you want to go more into Khan Academy, do it. Um, So I just think giving our teachers that okay to explore and experiment um, has been pretty interesting to see what they have done as well. So, you know, it's, There's so many possibilities right now if we kind of allow ourselves to think differently. That's beautiful. I'm so happy for your daughter and what a creative mind she has. I mean, honestly, when you said that, I I don't think I've ever considered that. (laughs) What do astronauts eat in space? (laughs) And who uh, creates that? What are some other things you think might change permanently because of this? I mean, personal lessons that you've learned, lessons the district's learned, and then how that might start to shift things in in the long term. Yeah, that's what we're all thinking about, right? There are some things that have happened with COVID um, that have really caused us to reprioritize. And I know there's some things that I don't want to go back to doing the way they were. You know, we've become more efficient with Zoom video conferencing. You know, who knew you could actually run this many meetings online? I think about our school board meetings. You know, we've been trying to come online for a long time now, and we just haven't been able to do that. And now we can. So why not make that an option in the future? You know, I think it's evaluating what work really needs to be done in person and what doesn't, because we are making things happen and getting by here. And when we are together, what is the priority? adults and kids, right? It's these connections and relationships. Um, Our students can learn online, but they can't connect online like they used to um, or with their teachers. So those social emotional supports you were talking about, I think those will be prioritized when we get back, um, whatever that looks like. Um, Those relationships are uh, now more important than ever. Um, And so, you know, this need for personalized learning we have a number of students who aren't able to engage for a number of different reasons and barriers. You know, if you have a family, if you've lost your job, or if you are sick yourself, you know, education is not the priority right now. And we understand that, um, that some students can't engage uh, as well as others. We do have other students that are continuing to learn, thriving, and excelling. So when we get back, students are going to be at different levels. We know that. 
And so how do we meet their needs um, and do it in a personalized way? I think some of these tools we've gotten better at in the last eight weeks we'll continue to use um, with our personalized learning through technology, um, really meeting students where they're at and focusing on the relationships in person. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I think that it is a really interesting time, like as you said, that things are shifting and because they have to shift, right, or they have to temporarily be readjusted. I think people are learning a lot of really good lessons about, you know, what, you know, what is necessary to really meet in person, like as you said, and what's not. And I think the connections, we're all feeling that. I mean, goodness, I just there's no replacement for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, can you have a doctor's appointment where you just have a toothache or whatever, an earache, you know, over the computer versus, you know, can you cut driving costs? Can you, you know, take off some stress because people are so busy? I think that, you know, there might be, and like you said, the creativity that students are, ha- are able to have with a little bit more flexibility, I think that's, you know, some definitely some positives. So I guess just personally, your different hats, right? You're, different roles with the district, which you're also a mom, the community member and all of that. I mean, how has it been? What is your, can you kind of maybe run me through a routine at your house? What does your day look like? I mean, do you have any suggestions or tips, wellness tips that you would give for community members? Like what's kind of keeping you sane? Have you made a routine? Um, you know, what's working, what's not? Yeah. Well, I've definitely learned that we all need a little bit of grace in this time. And that's grace with each of ourselves, with our family members, our spouses, um, everyone. You know, we're just all living and trying to work together and go to school. And on one hand, the time together has been great. Um, You know, I've never had this much time with my family that I do right now. But that doesn't come without its own challenges, right? We don't, (laughs) there's no time away. (laughs) We're always together, (laughs) which yes, I'm grateful for, but is not what we're used to. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I remember pretty early on, I'm a teacher at heart, always will be. I was a sixth grade teacher um, before I became an administrator. And that's what my daughter is right now. So I was so excited to get her learning on track, right? Make her plan. You know, this is in the supplemental learning days when this started. And I remember I put together Appy's schedule and, you know, okay, we're going to do this and this and this. And she just looked at me and was like, oh, I didn't think it was going to be like this, mom. (laughs) So I think I had to adjust my expectations of what this was going to be like. You know, I originally had, you know, up and dressed by eight o'clock you know, have breakfast. We're going to treat this like regular school. We're going to replicate what we do. You know, no, you don't sleep in. This is school, right? You're still in school. I've adjusted since then. You know, we have a bit more relaxed morning. We're all a bit saner because of it. Um, I feel like, you know, the bedtime routine has gotten later, especially because it's so nice out, which means, you know, the kids get up a little bit later. Um, but I think we've kind of settled into a routine. Um, you know, my husband works as well. So trying to fit that all in. Um, and yeah, I think just having a little more patience with each other, a little bit more grace, um, when people ask questions or need help or even need space. Um, for me, I've value my morning time. It's my quiet time in a way where I get to choose what I want. So I get up and get before the rest of my house is. Um, I like to walk in the mornings and especially now that it's so nice out. Um, 
otherwise, if you just sit on the computer all day, I don't even walk to my car. Um, so it's <laughs> one of my goals to get 10,000 steps a day, which is hard to do working from home uh, because you don't walk anywhere, right? Unless you're intentional about it. So I think, you know, whatever we all do for self-care, um, it's now more important than ever. I don't know. Do you have any good tips? What do you do, Nina? Yeah. I mean, I, I really like that idea of trying to, t- to treat it like it would be otherwise if there was no pandemic going on. I mean, it sound, it seems good in the beginning, right? Like keep a normal routine, you know, keep normalcy, but it's just not realistic. I mean, it's not realistic because our minds, I mean, everything like, you know, like just get wrapping our brains around what's going on in the beginning was difficult. I mean, it still is. Uh, I think we're in a very interesting location because we don't necessarily see, you know, people aren't like dying up here, which is, I mean, I'm so, so thankful for, right. But we still have like our downtown is empty. Our schools are closed. You know, we're trying to navigate working from home or maybe you're on unemployment. Like it's just, it's just a bizarre time. And so trying to pretend that like, you're going to wake up and eat your breakfast and get your clothes on and do your work, like as if nothing else is going on. is just, I haven't found that to be useful for me. So I think, you know, adding in some self, some, you know, just some self care with reading, you know, some affirmations in the morning, that's something I've been doing and just kind of enjoying the fact that I don't have to like, you know, Sierra Institute is in Taylorsville. So that's a 30 minute commute there and back. And so I don't have to drive. So if I get up and I can spend an extra little bit outside on the deck, you know, with with the sun and the birds, then I'm going to do that. So I, I really like that you've kind of adjusted. I'm sure most parents have had to do that with their kids too. I know if I was a child right now, I would be probably giving my parents some grief. So I commend you because I know that's that can be hard. But yeah, I think we're all probably just doing the best we can. I feel pretty lucky with the ages of my kids. They are 10 and almost 12. So they're totally capable of being independent learners during the day. If I had toddlers right now or young kids, as many parents do, that would be so challenging, as well as teenagers, um, you know, who want to so desperately be with their friends. Um, So I I feel very lucky that, you know, 10 and 12 is a pretty sweet spot for my kids um, to be in and making it work and um, feel for those that have others outside those ranges. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, thank you so much for your perspectives and all the um, the opportunity to talk with you. This has been really enlightening. Yeah, well, thanks for doing this and helping us share our story and some of the challenges we face, but also some of the successes that we're seeing and having. Yes, thank you so much. And good luck with the last few weeks of the school year. The Sierra Institute for Community and Environment is a nonprofit located in Taylorsville, California, in the eastern Sierras of Plumas County. The Sierra Institute for Community and Environment's mission is to promote healthy and sustainable forests and watersheds by investing in the well-being of rural communities and strengthening their participation in natural resource decision-making and programs. If you have a story to share, please contact us by emailing me, Nina Martin, at admin, A-D-M-I-N, at sierrainstitute.us or calling 530-927-9621.